Welcome to the podcast of Central Church. This is our latest weekly message. Okay, are you ready for uh, some adultery? (laughs) Um, (laughs) Now I know why there's less adults here tonight. Uh, (laughs) Joking, it's miserable out. Okay, so just continuing on with our uh, Sermon on the Mount. What do you... There is a lot of children. The fruit of our loins. Yes, hopefully not the fruit of our adultery, but our faithful commitment. Um, <laughs> moving through, just, uh, just, we'll just be going through the Sermon on the Mount for, well, for not ever, but this year, and just looking at the teachings of Jesus and seeking to al- align ourselves with the way of the kingdom and to allow Jesus to speak to us about our lives. And um, last week we spoke about murder and anger and uh, this week is adultery and lust, and it's been an interesting week of preparation, not along those, not practical uh, preparation, but just, uh, just thinking about this topic. So I'm going to read it, and uh, then, then we'll go from there. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 27 to 30 say this, Jesus speaking, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery, but I tell you, that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And just for all the, the women out there, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a man lustfully has already committed adultery with him in her heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Good words, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is, this, well, talking about lust and everything that goes with that. Um, it's, it's a sensitive topic, I think. And I'm highly aware that the church in history has sucked terribly at t- speaking about this stuff well. Um, we have really successfully piled lots of shame upon people, um, tried to make the whole thing about behaviour modification or sin management, Um, We have had dysfunctional relationships with the body and passion and desire and God's healthy, you know, provision for us in sexual drive and libido, which should be celebrated and enjoyed within the right context. So, like, it's kind of, and many of us, I suppose, if you've grown up in any kind of purity culture, you've grown up in the church and you were you were a horny teenager in the church then you know you have a certain amount of hang-ups depending on how your church talked or didn't talk about this type of thing or how your parents talked or didn't talk about this thing and so I guess I'm just aware that you know sitting in front of me tonight and even in my own heart we're all kind of somehow connected to this and have 
history or issues or lust or maybe we have committed adultery, maybe we struggle with a porn addiction, maybe we've got lots of questions about masturbation and all of that kind of thing. So I'm just aware that, that you know, it's not as easy to just stand up and say, this, this topic is simple, Jesus just says something and it's black and white and it's easy. Like, this stuff isn't easy. This stuff isn't easy to talk about uh, in healthy ways and this stuff is certainly not easy to kind of like work with in your own life. So I just want to acknowledge that straight up as a disclaimer that I have a level of nervousness around how to, talk, not how to, but just talking about this thing, knowing how it might hit. So asking for your grace if I say things that are unhelpful and I'm just trusting that God's going to be here with us and that even at the end maybe we'll have a chance to, um, for people to, sh to just share something if they want to. So that, that's just what I want to say. Um, so this is the second of Jesus's, you have heard it said, but I tell yous. There's six of them, and so we're up to number two. And in each of these, Jesus is taking a very traditional um, understanding of the law or of the Ten Commandments or of the Old Testament, and he's upping the ante on behaviour. So like with, with murder, Jesus says, you have heard it said, do not murder, um, which most people can handle in life, not murdering. But Jesus then goes, but I want to address the anger that lies within your heart because that is the root behind why we kill one another. And so moving on to the next one, Jesus is talking about adultery and the Ten Commandments say, you know, don't commit adultery. So we all know that there's some kind of good behaviour that we should participate in. But again, Jesus is driving much deeper than that, not just for those of us who can successfully keep it in our pants, but he's driving down into our hearts, into how our hearts are responding to intimate relationships, to connections with one another, to the, the passions and the desires that lie within us. So Jesus is like kind of like going deeper than just sort of surface level. He's not just interested in having people be good. He's interested in the wholeness of heart that each of us has. And so I think, you know, it's, it's always challenging because it's easy to look good on the outside but Jesus is trying to drive us deeper into each of us having a whole heart. So what I want to do just before we get into the lust issue is to just take a sideways step for a minute and talk about sin. Um, so sin, uh, you probably heard it talked about a lot in your Christian life, um, and you, you probably have heard that the Greek word for sin is hamartia, which literally means missing the mark. Okay? So that is the word that's used most predominantly in the New Testament for sin. In the Old Testament, um, there's a lot of different words for sin. Some of them mean just literally evil or wickedness. But a lot of them have to do with distorting something which is good or misrepresenting God. Um, so in a sense, a lot of the Old Testament words are similar to kind of like just missing the mark and getting it wrong. So it's interesting when we think about, you know, this Greek word, missing the mark, because the question we need to ask ourselves is, what is the mark? If sin is missing the mark, well, what, what, what's the centre of the target? What are we aiming for? And I think historically, a lot of the time, the way we've talked about sin, we've kind of put morality at the centre of the, 
the target. So sin is sort of being immoral in one direction or another. But I don't actually think that's the way that God thinks about sin or the way that our scripture sets us up to understand what sin is. Um, I think it's a little bit different to that. So I want to, just for a minute, take us right back to our Genesis story, Genesis chapter 1 and 2, which is where we get the fullest idea of how God has um, set up humanity and set up all of creation. So you're all probably very familiar with the creation accounts that are in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. Um, the first chapter 1 is essentially a poem that goes through um, being very poetic and descriptive about the creation of the world. And chapter 2 is almost like another kind of retelling of the story with a little bit more prose than poetry. But what scholars have discovered is that the language that's used in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 is actually uh, temple language. So in the ancient Near East, um, the cultures were full of temples that were built to worship gods. And so the idea of these temples, whatever culture you were in and whatever god that was god of that temple, the idea is that that building, that temple, was actually the intersection of heaven and earth for that god. So it was like the dwelling place of that god. So if you wanted to go and worship Asherah, you would go to the temple of Asherah and you would then be in the kind of somewhat in-between phase of Asherah's dwelling and earth. And in that temple, you would worship the way you were told. And in that temple would be put an image of Asherah so that everyone knew what Asherah looked like. Okay? That's how temples were seen and understood in the ancient Near East where we have our Old Testament scriptures. So when we have these accounts of Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, and the writers of these accounts are using temple imagery, essentially what they're doing is they're drawing out the whole idea that the heavens and the earth are the temple of God. So earth has become the intersection of God's dwelling place and creation's dwelling place. And within that temple... God has put his image, and his image is us. This is the language that our scriptures are using about the temple. I've, I'm, I make humankind in my image, and we are placed within the dwelling place of God in the temple, which is our creation story. And so we are placed to be a representation um, to the world of what God looks like. That's, why, that's, what, that's our created dignity, that we image God to the world. So this is like the magnificence of our creation kind of accounts and when you kind of dig in and understand them. And so the world is a temple. It's the intersection of heaven and earth. And into the temple, God puts us as his image so all of creation would know what God looks like. So sin, then, I think the Bible carries sin on to be whenever we fail to live up to our God-given mandate to be his image within creation. And N.T. Wright, who is much smarter than me, 
um, talks about this. And he talks about um, the two, um, two functions, functions is a bad word, the two um, ideas of humanity, that's even a bad word too, I can't even think, my brain's a bit switched off. We, we are in all creation to do two things. Number one, we are in, in all creation to give praises back to God. So we as humans with cognitive ability gather up all the goodness of creation and we worship it back to God. So we're, we're in God's temple, we're in the world as priests worshipping God. And the other thing we're there to image God to is we're there to image the goodness and the wisdom and the love and the kindness and the gentleness, all of the character and nature of God that we have been given as God's image, we are to reflect that to all creation. So we kind of reflect the praises of all creation back up to God and we reflect the goodness, kindness, wisdom, patience and everything else of God back to creation as stewards. And that's like our kingly vocation. So in scripture, when we come across verses that say, I have made you a kingdom of priests, we're getting a clash of this image of, of who we're created to be. You know, 1 Peter 2, 9, which says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who has called you out of darkness and into his wonderful life. Um, um, Exodus uses that language, Revelation uses that language, that we're kings and we're priests set within all creation in order to glorify God and reflect God's ways to the world. That's the high calling of humanity. That is the, the way that God made us. That's the beauty of who we are. That is our high calling as people. And sin is, I guess, the biggest generous term for any way in which we don't do that whether we are idolatrous in worshipping other gods or putting our trust in other things other than God Almighty or whether or not it's not the character and nature of God that we're reflecting to the world but selfishness and, you know, brokenness and hurt and impatience. So that's, that's a kind of, kind of a good understanding for what sin is. So I wanted to sidestep there just for a minute, because I think what that can do is just broaden our thoughts around stuff like when we're talking about lust and porn addictions. It's like it's not just talking about one naughty thing that we're doing, but it's actually we're, we were created for so much more. Sin is the failure to do anything other than what we were gloriously created for. And C.S. Lewis has this wonderful quote, um, that I, really, oh, that I really like. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. It's a great quote, isn't it? And I think about this when it comes to the bigger issues of stuff that touches the deep shame inside of us. Is you, we need to be reminded that we were created for so much more. 
We were created to be kings and priests within God's good creation, that we, each of us, are endowed with the goodness of God, that God thinks you are holy and he has plans for you and they are good. They are to reflect the praises of creation up to him and they are to administer wisdom and love and kindness to the world. That's why you were created. That is the magnificence, the joy, the high calling of humanity. That is what we kind of like get inspired up towards. And when we're driven by anything other than that, it is a bit like making mud pies in a slum rather than holidaying by the sea because there is so much more for us in God's good world. So back to the text. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. Why? Because God is faithful and God exists in relationship. And he is faithful to relationship always. And adultery is unfaithfulness to relationship. So it's a misreflection of God's goodness. That's why we're called to not commit adultery, not because God doesn't want us to have fun and have sex everywhere, but because it's a misrepresentation of faithfulness. So God calls us to be faithful like he is faithful. And so we shouldn't commit adultery. And then Jesus, in his goodness and love and kindness drives it deeper and says, okay, so you've heard it said you shall not commit adultery, but I want to say that any of you who are even looking at man, woman, lustfully, you've already committed unfaithfulness in your heart. So Jesus is taking this a whole lot deeper. Lust is rightful desire spent wrongfully. Rightful desire spent wrongfully. Lust commodifies people and treats them as less than image bearers in God's creation. So when we're looking at one another driven by lust, basically we're commodifying people and making them a transactional means towards a satisfactory end for ourselves and not seeing them as the holy kingly priests that they are and we're seeking to commodify and transactionalize our sexual desire rather than kind of live deeply in honoring one another as image bearers in God's creation and so lust makes sex just so transactional instead of like an expression of intimacy within relationship but you don't really need me to tell you that lust is wrong, right? Did you, anyone come here kind of like wondering if it was okay to kind of like watch hardcore porn tonight? Like, you don't need me to tell you this. I think most, like, this is where I'm, like, I know this is where we have to get somewhere deeper. We kind of know that lust is wrong. And I think one of the challenges is especially shame is so deeply attached to our sexuality that I don't, understand and I don't have the full kind of spiritual psychological outworkings of why that is but shame is so attached to sexuality for us as humans because our sexuality is such a part of who we are such a part of our identity and shame loves to attach itself to our identity and distort our perception of who we are and to distort the perception of who other people are as well so shame is a very very deep thing And lust drives shame, and shame drives addiction. And so when we're talking about 
lust in our own lives, when we're talking about our addictions to pornography or other sexual activity that's not, not healthy, a lot of that is driven by shame in our lives. And I think when Jesus would come and talk to us about these things, he wouldn't just be talking to about the things you do with your right eye or your right hand. He'd be wanting to get much deeper into what's actually going on in your heart and deep in your very self in order to bring wholeness into that place. Jesus does not deal in shame. He deals in compassion and holds out the offer of healing and transformation. It's like that quote that I shared last week about the difference between goodness and wholeness. For a good man to realise that it is better to be whole than to be good is to enter on a straight and narrow path compared to which his previous rectitude was flowery licence. God just doesn't want goodness for your life. God just doesn't want you to be good and not commit adultery. He wants you to be whole, deep within yourself, so that you're not driven in unhealthy directions by your sexual desire. So what I want to do is I want to ask us a few questions. And since there's a slightly smaller crowd tonight, maybe we'll do some like talk to the person next to you thing. Because I know you all love that. And you all just want to talk to the person next to you about your lust. Um, <laughs> um, so here are some questions. What does wholeness in the area of our sexuality look like? And I want to ask you this question, because last week when I was talking about anger, I talked about what was underneath our anger. And I talked about that for me, what I know is underneath my anger is, is either hurt, like someone's hurt me, but it's easier to be angry than to be hurt, or what's underneath my anger is kind of a form of selfishness, like I'm not getting what I want on my way and, and I don't like that, so it's easy to be angry than just admit that I'm kind of a bit proud and selfish. So I want to ask you what you think are the things that are underneath lust, okay? But this is what I want to say first before we talk about this because it's not as simple to answer, I don't think, as the anger thing because wrapped up in what's underneath lust is actual that the fact that sexual desire and libido and pleasure are all good things given by God. Okay, so I'm not, you know, like I don't want to tap into like, oh no, we're talking about some of the good things. Like there is good things underneath our desire for intimate connection. There is good, like there is something about looking at someone and being turned on that God has created us to be. So that's like normal physical response to external stimuli. That's like, I'm not trying to undo what's right and good. I'm trying to ask you, what's, what do you think other unhealthy things that are underneath lust yeah is that is that a, is that all right so maybe if you're sitting by yourself go and sit next to someone else and I want you just brainstorm you can then like you know say oh a friend told me once you know you can use the friend the friend's always a good one. Oh, a friend once told me that the reason they watch porn you know like but you know um, but I want, I want you to like, because I, I think this is an important conversation for us to have when we're talking about lust. 
Let's just go deeper than like stop doing it. You should just stop doing it. Like that's actually very unhelpful and can just drive shame. We need to actually know what are the things that are underneath that are driving this in unhealthy ways. So take a couple of minutes and have a brainstorm and then we'll, we'll, we'll chat about it. Okay, how are we going? You worked it all out. So solved. Ah. Oh. yourself up thinking how am I going to screw this up for people what are the words I'm going to use mm, oh no oh no okay I, I want to hear something your friend once told you what what do you think what do you think are the things that are, what, what do you think are the things in our lives that need the wholeness of Jesus to, to touch them when it comes to what's underneath the drive for lust in our lives? Like what, what are those things in us where our, you know, our lust might be the obvious like expression of something, but it's coming from, from something much deeper within us. Like does anyone have any good ideas? Insecurity. Wanting connection. Okay. Who else thought that? Does anyone want to say anything more about that? Connection. So, yeah, it's like the deep, deep desire to be connected, feelings of loneliness. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. And not, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah. 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 That's good. This deep, deep created reality within us that we are created for intimacy and for connection and for relationship, because that's the reflection of God, God that exists in eternal community within himself. And we're created in his image, created to be like that, created to be connected deeply to one another, created to have trustful, intimate connection with one another, not just on a sexual level, but on like a social level as well. And that so often the ache within our lives is loneliness and isolation. And sometimes that is deep like, like an emotional thing that we experience. And sometimes it's just actual geography. Like some of us are just isolated and lonely and without human connection in our day-to-day. -day. Like that's our reality. And there's kind of like deep longings within us to be connected that we contend with and we wrestle with. And sometimes that's what's underneath the drive to connect somehow, however um, 
counterfeit it might be, but just that drive to connect somehow. I think that is, that is really that loneliness and the, the desire for connection and love and acceptance and worthiness and all those things can sometimes, that ache for us can be underneath and that can drive it. Did anyone else have anything amazing? Chris? Right out. Um, I think uh, underneath unhealthy, unhealthy lust can be uh, a desire for control and a feeling of powerlessness that um, lust can be um, an imaginary way to have that power where you haven't had it or where you feel you don't have it. Does anyone else want to say? Oh, you can say something about that, Liz. Fear. Fear of loss, fear of loneliness, fear of not finding someone, fear of lack of acceptance, fear of rejection. It's a good list there. Anyone else? Or oh, Danny. Um, a lot of um, kids have been abused and traumatised and neglected so they have unhealthy attachments and so they can't, don't know how to get that intimacy in a healthy way. Yeah, that's good. So this is, this is I think, when, I, when, when we hear these things, because I think these things that we've just spoken are the deep truths of what it means to be human, to, to, to experience those longings, to um, struggle with the emptiness, the loneliness, the abuse, the brokenness of our world. Like, like when we hear those things and we imagine Jesus coming to us to speak to us about our lust, I don't think he would ever heap shame upon what we're struggling with. But I think Jesus comes with the offer of healing and transformation into those deep places of our lives. That, I think, is what Jesus holds out to us as the image of God. That he wants to come deep into our woundedness and our brokenness and our loneliness and our struggles for control and our fears and he wants to come and meet us in that deep place. And if we are willing to say to Jesus, actually, Jesus, this is what's deepest within me. Would you come and help me out? Maybe if we started there in the bottom and experienced healing there, we wouldn't need to worry so much about what our hands and our eyes are doing because we'd feel the satisfaction of the Holy Spirit in the deep place within. I think that's what Jesus has for us. I think that's what Jesus has for every single one of us. The offer to be just so intimate and connected to him that he would come and heal us. And every time we just hear someone say, just stop it, it's not really very helpful because there are much deeper things that are driving our need to connect and our longing. Does anyone else have anything they want to say about the discussion they had? That's all right. 
I think you could, we could talk a lot about this, but you know. I think this is why groups like Les's are really important. Because when you have, uh, this, is, this is kind of like the deep stuff of our lives. And we need actually deep connection to help connect in places that are not whole. I just want to pick up in um, verse 29 uh, where Jesus gets funny. And this is Jesus being funny, okay? This is where I think people who were listening to him would have known that he was going for large exaggerations and they would have laughed amongst, amongst themselves when Jesus says, If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into the valley of Himnon, is the actual word, literal place, the place, the rubbish dump where they burnt all the rubbish. Um, and if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into the valley of Himnon, which is an actual place where they rubbish dump, same rubbish dump. Um, I think this is Jesus driving just how serious this conversation is for us as humans. Um, that he would be so over the top about what we should do when we're struggling in these deep areas of our lives. It's kind of like that he's definitely upping the ante on how committed we should be to living as faithful humans in this world and to bringing our brokenness before him and allowing him to transform us from the inside out. It's like this is no small thing for humanity. This is actually a big thing in our lives that we need to deal with because if we don't deal with it well, our whole lives can be destroyed. And for those of you who have watched people go through infidelity, for those of you who have watched people journey through promiscuity, you will know how easy it is for the deep drivers of our life that expresses itself in behaviours to actually destroy. It destroys life. It burns up. It ruins relationships. It breaks people down. It, you know, watching pornography actually rewires your brain in a destructive way. It makes you less capable for intimate connection. Like Jesus kind of, I don't know if he actually knew the science behind what he was saying when he said it, maybe he did. But there is, like it's destructive if we don't kind of like be serious about the ways that this engages in our lives. And gee, this is one of the places where Jesus was just over the top. If you have got a problem with this, like gouge out your eye, cut off your hand. I don't think he's being literal. Um, there were people in history that did think he was being literal, who did do things to take this literally, like the wondrous scholar and theologian Origen, who lived at the end of the second century. I think he was born in 185 AD. He actually castrated himself in order to be pure before God. Now, you could say commitment, um, but I think that this text is actually telling us that kind of lustful stuff, it doesn't start with your genitals. It starts in your heart and in your eye. And so cutting off your bits and pieces probably won't help you too much with purity of heart <laughs> because you can still, you know, anyway. Um, I don't know what you can still, I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> but, um, I just think, you know, 
Jesus is pushing us into seriousness about what the outcome of this stuff is in our lives. It's destructive. It will destroy us and it destroys the people around us. It takes us so far away from the humans we were meant to be to give glory to God and administer God's goodness to all creation. Lust takes us so far away from that because we, it's like we're giving up our holiness in being human and reducing it down to just commodified transactional pleasure. And God has so much more on offer for us than that. He's got grandness and joy and peace and goodness. And Jesus is sort of saying, better to suffer some small pain than have your life destroyed. Better to take this seriously and to figure out what it looks like for you to walk in wholeness than for you to blow up those around you and destroy your own life in the process. So Jesus takes this kind of stuff seriously, but I don't think it's just like I said at the beginning. It's not, if you are struggling, if we, if you are sitting here and you're like, I know I struggle with lust, my message to you is not just try harder. Jesus takes this seriously, cut off your hand. I'm not saying that. I'm saying Jesus takes this so seriously, he wants to go down into your heart. And he's got wholeness and healing on offer for you. And he wants you to pursue that with as much passion and energy that you can. He wants you to let go of shame. He wants you to know that he is the place that you are whole, that you are accepted, that you are loved, that you are connected to. He wants to go to those deep places in your life and he wants you to trust him. And the outworking of that, the behaviours that will all come out of the healing that is found deep within. So we're going down deep into healing, not deep into shame. So to conclude... So we can eat dinner. Well, I don't know. I'm not keep talking about lust. Um, the traditional challenge of most religions, and certainly the Jewish religion, is just this: this, don't commit adultery. But the problem is, it actually goes so much deeper than that, and we all struggle with fantasy and lustful looking. I mean, you can not commit adultery and still be running rampant with lustful looking in your life. So Jesus is taking us deeper. And the, the way of transformation, I think, is that we bring our way of seeing, seeing ourselves and seeing others and letting God do radical surgery on us so that we see ourselves in a high and holy place as human beings with a high priestly and kingly calling made for holidays by the sea, not mud pies in the slum, that we see ourselves as righteous and holy in the eyes of God. And we see each other as righteous and holy, image bearers of God, worthy of love and intimacy and faithfulness and connection and honour and purity and love. That we actually, that's the eyes that we're constantly seeing every human being with. So we honour God with our way of seeing. And when we realise that we're not seeing so well, either ourselves or others, we ask Jesus to come and do radical eye surgery on us and our heart. And we go from there. So if you're sitting here tonight and you're like, you know what, I don't struggle with lust. I say, well done you. And if you're married... Go develop a wondrous ethic of pleasure and desire and have rampant sex all the time, as much as your children allow. 
we should do that if we can. It's God's gift to us and pleasure is good and should be enjoyed. And walking the path of that through life is something we should all learn to navigate. So enjoy it if you can. And if you're struggling and you know that you struggle with lust and you're either single or you're married, it doesn't, both are real, there are some probably good conversations that you need to have with someone you trust. Whenever you admit and confess, shame starts to lose its grip on you. If you keep things hidden and keep things quiet, that's where the power is. So if this is something that you struggle with, either in big ways or small ways, it doesn't really matter. My encouragement to you would be, be to find someone you trust and have open conversation with them. Find someone you can pray with um, and pray with them. Ask Jesus to... And do the work of realising what is it that's driving this. Because I would say there's something deeper in you that's driving it that Jesus could come and heal. And then the behaviour would actually sort itself out for itself. Is that all right? Anyone want to say anything? I'm looking at you, Chris. (laughs) (laughs) Only because I talked to Chris about this through the week and I'm like, maybe at the end I'll say, Chris, do you want to say anything? And so I just thought I should say, Chris, do you want to say anything? And then actually I might ask Cheryl if you want to say anything. And you can say, no, I don't want to say anything. But this is about, I feel like I do not hold the wisdom on this. Either do I. (laughs) Do have a bit of experience, though, as many would know my story of addiction and uh, pornography um, being just a real kind of um, thing that got me through, um, yeah, a lot of years, but took its toll on me and on relationships. Um, and yeah, my relationship to myself. Um, yeah, that that outworking behavior, like kind of Kara was alluding to, I was able to find an end to that through seeing shame undone, you know, through community, through confession, through a lot of this 12-step kind of stuff, really, that I didn't realize was 12-step um, at the time. Um, what I've seen since that behavior has, you know, not been a you know, whatever temptation as much or something that I've gone to, I've seen the deeper stuff <laughs> that it's actually attached to bubble up in the last decade and a bit of, of my life. And um, yeah, there's, it's, a, it's an interesting journey. I think it's unique to everybody, but it, there's also some common things um, that uh, can be really good to walk through, um, whether you're... Uh, yeah, you have addictive tendencies to destructive substances like pornography or not. Uh, we have things underneath the hood that um, really need some light and love. And a lot of the times, I don't think we can do that for ourselves. That's kind of why we're made for the body. Um, and I would include um, professional help in that body, um, something that is... Uh, I think a godsend is being able to talk with somebody um, in a professional manner who can help to um, to listen, to tease out some of the things that we can't sort of process through ourselves. And I've found a lot of help in my last few years of some of the stuff that's underneath the hood. 
um, having somebody to um, help shine a light and guide through. So that's been in the church community as well as professional world. And if um, you're looking for something like that down the track, there's a number of us in here that <laughs> see people that we can give r recommendations or um, channels to you know get into that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think the whole thing gets down to our very, very basic needs of how God's created us to be loved and be accepted and be valued and be secure. And really the only, um, the only way we can address that is in our relationship with Jesus himself. However we get there, by the means Chris is talking or other means, but it, that is really the only one, the only being who will give us that kind of security so that we can address those kinds of issues in our life. Yeah, that's enough. You said everything else. <laughs> and that is why we're coming to the table again. I think my great acknowledgement in all these things that Jesus is pushing us deep into is that we can't do it on our own. This isn't about better self-control. This isn't about some kind of passionate devotion to Jesus that you can muster up that's going to, to fix you. This is actually about coming to Jesus in our brokenness and in our woundedness and saying, Jesus, I need you. We fall upon relationship. We invite the Holy Spirit into our deep places and we allow Jesus to transform us. And I think that's part of what Jesus left us when he left us his body and his blood in this bread and in this wine. That we come and we eat him. And we take him into our bodies. And however we understand that to work, and it's a mystery that I don't understand. But the act of eating and drinking when we come to the table, for me, is an act of saying, Jesus, I just need you. I can't do this on my own. I need the deep connection with you. I need you in my body, you in my soul, you in my spirit, your grace covering everything, your grace leading me. And so as we come to the table, all of us, we come as sexual beings. All of us, we come in health and in brokenness. All of us, we come having done good things and done bad things. But all of us, we come being very deeply loved by Jesus and so just I'll, I would love us to come Luke maybe you can come and break the bread I've probably poured way too much drink tonight I got I got enthusiastic and I just want to invite you to come and I want you to come and receive some bread and receive some wine or some juice but I don't actually want you to sit um, on your own to eat or drink tonight. I want you to do it with those who are next to you, maybe the people you had conversation with, because again, this is not just an individualized thing that we do when we come to the table. And we were made for deep, deep connection with God. And we were made for deep, deep connection with one another. So let's not 
do this in isolation or loneliness tonight, but let's do this together. And with the person that you're sitting next to, maybe you might just want to pray a blessing upon them, pray a prayer over them, um, pray out some of the things that you spoke about. And if in that mix there's confession and connection, well, let's trust the Holy Spirit with that. Yeah? Let's come and eat and drink. Thanks for listening. If you want to check out more about Central, visit us at centralchurch.org.au. Music by Chris D'Souza, a beloved member of Central. (laughs) 